Hi, my name is Sarah, and I'm Anxious AF. Welcome back to the podcast. In this episode from our Isolated AF Coronavirus series, I chat with college professor and cinematographer George Nicholas. We discuss the desire for routine and normalcy, moving from in-person to online college courses, and whether the U.S. would be better off allowing Trump to go golf and let the adults run the country. George was one of my college professors, and I would come out of his classes with pages and pages of notes that I'd try to soak up like a sponge. This conversation was no different. I'm thrilled that he agreed to chat with me for the podcast, and I'm excited for you all to hear a small taste of what I experienced during my college years. As you may already know, the major challenge of doing this series around the coronavirus is that regardless of when you record interviews, the information is changing by the day, the hour, even the minute. We recorded this interview about one week into mandated self-quarantine, so the conversation has definitely evolved in the weeks since. Without further ado, here's my chat with George. So I'm basically just talking to people about how they're feeling about with all of the anxiety with Corona and just trying to hear what, how people are taking all of this. And Sure. Um, I, I miss my students. I, um, I, I miss the classroom. I miss, I don't miss the commute. So that's been kind of nice. And I, I'm certainly enjoying spending more time with my family. So that's mm. kind of a nice relief. Uh, you know, leading up to this, it was very, you know, my week is packed. So it was very stressful. I wasn't getting any creative work done this semester. Uh, I'm still not getting any creative work done, but uh, I have a feeling if I want this to end, I just need to start working on creative stuff. And then, you know, all of a sudden it'll be like back to, you know, back to normal. And I'm not really interested in back to normal. I mean, I'm hoping this is sort of, I don't think it will be as I track the news. I think people are just, you know, so brainwashed about the stock market being the economy and work being the most important thing. Everyone is, you know, rushing to get back to that sense of normalcy and it's a pretty dysfunctional normalcy that wasn't working for most people so you know i don't know that this will change that or it's just weird to see the power structure trying to uh trying to desperately hold on to something that you know led to this being as bad as it is and just you know and just just bringing up the same old empty gods of you know the economy and production and you know all that stuff yeah, it's funny because uh, you're the first person that's really mentioned like the fact that we're rushing back to that we want that sense of normalcy that we want to go back to these jobs that we may or may not be happy in or this life that we may or may not be happy in. Yeah, I mean, and, I mean, it's it's weird because they they brainwashed this pretty effectively. I mean, if you track, you know, certainly if you track the DNC, you know, twenty twenty elections, uh, twenty sixteen for that matter, you've got a guy who's been, you know, and I'm not flogging for him, but you have a you have a guy who's been in public service his entire life. Um, who just has been beating the same drum for 40 years of that, mm. um, wanting to make sure that we have universal health care like every other fucking, like, you know, civilized country in the world. Um, and that the corporate, uh, you know, the corporate pharmaceutical companies and all the corporations basically um, are, aren't taking a gigantic share of what it costs to stay alive. You know, right. for people to stay alive, and the re the reaction to that has been "fuck you, communist." You know, and that's and that really speaks to sort of a, a brainwashing of our country in terms of you know what we went through in the Cold War, and and they, you know they always point to Venezuela, um, 
you know, and Venezuela was, was doing pretty okay until we got involved. So, mm. uh, so imagine in any sort of, you know, Marxist system, I think the thing that doesn't work with Marxist systems is that you can't have a classless society where one group of people is in charge of doling out, you know, the resources to the rest of the company, because the country, because that just sort of doesn't factor human nature into it. We're going through that right now with the whole bailout thing. It's just sort of like, you know, um, it's just sort of like, okay, you know, the stock market went up today because, you know, the, the airlines and the other companies that, that are sure to get a big piece of this pie, um, you know, their stocks went up because they're, the gravy train's about to roll in for them. But that doesn't help you or me mm-hmm. or most people we know, you know, and I don't think that this helps any of the people we know in production um, who aren't working for major studios, who are going to be out of work until this settles, you know. Um, and, and a large portion of the, of the, of the country who are self-employed, you know, because they keep, you know, I've got, I've got friends, I've got, you know, friends who are Trumpers that are my friends and I don't hate them for their politics. I, to some extent, I understand, you know, that a lot of them voted with their middle fingers in 2016, that they didn't feel like the government was in any way um, caring about their needs as citizens of the country. And they're not wrong, you know, they're, they're not wrong. Um, you know, and it was, I mean, that was the sort of lesson of 2016 was that, that uh, you know, on the left, we had people rallying behind progressive candidates. And on the right, we had people, you know, rallying behind the, the thing that ended up being president and uh, who was an outsider. And I think the message um, that, that I think came across to everyone, except for the people in charge, was that the country was no longer happy with business as usual because it wasn't working for the majority of us. So here we are again, four years later, and I just see the same patterns. Uh, and I see power holding up to power. And that's not uncommon. I mean, that's sort of how human nature works. But um, but the stakes seem so much higher this time. Yeah. Are you So has that made you personally feel any new anxieties that you weren't really dealing with prior to or you didn't really? I mean, I guess the shift in how we're living our lives is, is enough to be anxious about if that's brought you any i'm not really anxious i'm just sort of you know resigned i guess Mm. um i mean i'm no more or less anxious than i was than when all this started i mean we're cautious you know when this started in wuhan i I knew it was going to be a global pandemic it was obvious so i've been taking precautions you know for two months now um um so i you know i'm I'm anxious i'm not it's, it's like i'm not anxious about it's just it's weird it's like I can see an unbroken line of moving towards a fascist society that's been going on in this country since probably, you know, since the end of World War II, um, but certainly picked up in the 70s and, and, and it picked up a lot during the Reagan administration. And I, I don't see any breaks in that. Like, I think that the agenda that's being pushed by a very small part of the population who control everything um, is is moving along unfettered uh, throughout, you know, either democratic presidencies or republican presidencies i think that you know nothing has really changed as much as you know i i I fault my friends who worship obama like he was some sort of messiah as much as i fault my friends who worship uh trump like he's some sort of messiah i mean Mm -hmm. and i think that much emphasis on one person um in a in a government that has three branches that are supposed to provide checks and balances is sort of a cry to wanting to be ruled by a king again, and we hold, fought a whole fucking revolution for that. So, um, I don't think that people are, you know, in general represented by their government, but I don't think they've been represented by members of their government for a long time. Mm. I mean, you know, no one I know in the Senate or the 
house uh, is is an independent film producer or technician, you know, or or an educator. You know, there are probably a couple that taught in law schools, and then you know, Elizabeth Warren comes to mind. Um, so you have a really out of touch. You have real. You have representation that's really out of touch of what it's like to be a person worrying about where the rent's coming from mm. or worrying about. So they're talking about thousand dollar checks, and that's not. That doesn't, that'll pay the taxes I owe them from last year, maybe, you know. Right. Uh, and I'm lucky because I'm still getting paid, you know, uh, and, and a lot of people aren't. Uh, my fear is that they've brainwashed everyone into believing it's so important and great to have a job. Um, and they've pushed so hard to, you know, fight organized labor and collective bargaining that uh, that, that sense of, you know, gratitude that there is some sort of job um, comes with a caveat of like, I'll take whatever because I don't want to be without work because I'm terrified of not having a job. Mm. And they all work that to their advantage. And that's a fear that, that when the dust settles on this thing, that, that you know, it's all going to be, it's going to be even more corporate stuff and, and more small businesses out of, out of business. The anxiety of like, what's going to happen when I don't know any, I never knew before this was, you know, before this, what was going to happen in life anyway. Like I can't predict anything. So you know, I wasn't guaranteed. Crisis is existential crisis, right? Yeah, I mean, that's what I, I mean. It's sort of like we all know we're going to die. Right. Now we, now some of us have be, you know, now it's just sort of like, oh, and this could be the thing. You know, that's you know, that's where I'm kind of at. I'm just like, uh, you know, part of me is just like, I just don't want to die from this fucking thing because I don't want to. I want a decent funeral, and I don't want to die alone. Yeah, I mean, uh, it's just that like, because we were so some of this idea too that it was like affecting the elderly can affect everybody can kill anybody and what sort of pisses me off about it is that they've known all along i mean it doesn't right you know look at italy and you've they've known all along that it's it's you know it can kill anybody so that you know but i think i think that that saying it's like the elder like the flu is saying it's like the elderly and, and those who are you know immune systems are compromised it's just another form of brainwashing where it's just sort of like it gets you conditioned to be like okay well i'm in my 20s and it'll be okay for me to go to work you know, and you have the lieutenant governor of Texas now who's who's basically saying like, well, you know, I'm, and he's, he's like, I'm free to die so my grandparents and my grandkids, you know, have an economy. And I'm like, well, then go make out with a COVID patient. Then. Lead by example, if that's the way you feel about it. I mean, there's, it's it's just, I mean, again, it's a country based on hypocrisy, right? Like our country was founded on hypocrisy. It was founded on the notion that all men are created equal, you know, except women um, and the men that we own. So we have a rich history of saying something and meaning something different. But, you know, just to hear the, the same people that were that were bashing ACA, you know, with death trials where, where old people, they would decide whether old people should live or die. Mm-hmm. Or the same people now pushing for, you know, like, well, let's let's open everything back up again if the old people die. So what? Because it's good for the economy, um, you know, which is quite, you know, if, if a Democrat had said that, they would be like losing their shit entirely. So, um, so it's just that kind of hypocrisy that you, you see all the time. Um, and I don't know. I mean, I don't, I just, I, I hope that, that, uh, I hope for the best out of all of this. I don't think, you know, I, I don't, I mean, it's just weird. It's like, you know, if they're going to do a, a package to, to, uh, you know, if they're going to do some sort of stimulus package, um, make sure people don't get kicked out of their houses, you know, yeah. put, put a hold on rent, you know, put the money in escrow when you get it, whatever. Um, same with student loans, same with credit card debts. And the credit card companies will do that. They'll they'll keep accruing interest, but you can you can put your payments on hold for the next you know couple of months or something. You know, just to get by. Um, because we're all in this together. I mean, there's you know there are some people I guess who have the money that can absorb this 
that can absorb this for a few months. And then people that absolutely have to work, you know, most of us are living in a paycheck or two paychecks away from being homeless. So, right. you know, they have to do something about that. And if they don't, you know, that's what pitchforks and torches were invented. And like, in your opinion, how long do you think this shelter in place self-quarantining thing is going to like, how long realistically do you think people will do it for? Well, how long will they do it for? I have no idea, but I've, I've like a, like a, a grown intelligent adult i'm listening to the healthcare professionals in this right so if if they're saying that this is going to peak in may and our numbers are going to get the highest and our deaths are going to be the highest in may and that there's really no there's kind of no way around it until we have a until we have a vaccine we're looking at like september you know we're looking at like at the very earliest like Midsummer before things return to any sort of normalcy and, and people are allowed to, to gather in groups again. Um, and I think any time before that is going to lead to a lot of dead people who didn't have to die. I mean, that's, I think that's the thing. It's going to lead to a lot of people who are infected, um, who are overrunning the healthcare system, who, who wouldn't have died otherwise. And that's, that's the whole idea of flattening the curve, right? It's not that people aren't going to get infected. It's that, um, if we flatten the curve, the, the hospitals will be able to deal with and treat the people who have it, who are at risk who, of dying. Right. Um, but if we're out, you know, partying with our friends and, uh, you know, and there's more sick people than there are ventilators and more sick people than there are, are beds, then, you know, there's a lot of deaths. And, and the projections just from a, a, a mathematical uh, standpoint, you know, look to be a, a million people dead in, in the U.S., uh, and that's a big number. I mean, that's bigger than all the people that died during, you know, all of the, all the war casualties, um, from the civil war, which is, you know, that's the most casualties we ever had in the war. So, um, that's a big number. It's not a number that's easy to wrap one's head around, right? You know, 3000, some people died 9-11. It changed the world. The whole thing changed the world. We're talking about a million people in the U S dying. And, you know, and the, and the cynical side of me feels like they want that to happen. You know, there's probably a group mm -hmm. of people perfectly fine with a million less of us on the planet taking up resources, you know, and it, part of it is, I mean, it's, it's showing all the cracks in our system. Like, you know, and not, and it, it's, everyone wants to point fingers at Trump, point fingers at whatever, but you need to point fingers at the system when you're running a healthcare system where it has to be lean and based on profits. So you can give mm -hmm. profits to shareholders. What you're left with is, you know, not enough hospital beds because if there aren't people in the beds, they're not generating money. It's like running a rental house. It's like, well, if a camera sits in the shelf and no one rents it, it's not making money. It's taking up space. So if you have ventilators that aren't being used, if you have beds that aren't being used, you've got a system that's taxed already. You know, you, our healthcare system is, is on the edge already. If you, if you make up an appointment with your doctor, you, you have a wait time and a decent sized wait time. Uh, and all of that is about the, the corporatization of that industry and making it profitable. And, and I think some things, I think that that corporate model uh, doesn't or shouldn't apply to every part of human life, you know, because when the bottom line is everything, things like humanity and quality go out the window. You know, that's one of the things with the stimulus package is trying to keep trying to keep these companies uh, from taking that money and buying their stock back so their shareholders can get a bigger return because the, their shareholders are a very small group of people uh, across industry. They're, they're making a lot of money on this. So, um, you know, so. I don't think higher education should be run like a corporation. I don't think healthcare should be run like a corporation. Um, I don't think the government should be run like a corporation, you know, and I'm hoping that this, this, and it won't, you know, I'm, I, I'm fully aware that, that, you know,
Trump probably has as good a shot as he ever had at winning 2020. Mm-hmm. But I hope that um, that idea of we need a businessman to run the country is just bullshit. We need a statesman. You can see it now. You can see the difference between de Blasio, you know, and the way he's he's running New York City and the way that Cuomo is you know, running the state or the way Cuomo is running the state versus the way Trump is running the country. Um, you know, and Cuomo is kind of a dick, you know, and so is Giuliani. Giuliani was a complete fucking tool until, you know, not 11. And then he was, he stepped up because that's what leaders are supposed to do, to step up, you know. So, so September 10th, 2001, uh, Rudolph Giuliani was, you know, the self-appointed art critic of the, of the Brooklyn Museum uh, and a pain in everyone's ass and, you know, and, and you know, killing the homeless so he didn't have to look at them or whatever. And then, you know, in, you know, 9 11 9 12 he was he was a hero and of course he went back to being a turd afterwards and i imagine you know cuomo will go back to being a turd afterwards but but at least at at the time when we needed them they stepped up and that's what your leaders are supposed to do um and not sort of i, I mean i the, the problem i think with trump is that you know one he's he's very concerned about not getting reelected, right uh, and I also think he's got major, you know, ADD. So I think he's just bored now. I think that the, this has lasted for longer than his attention span. And he just mm-hmm. wants to go golf. And part of me says they should let him maybe, you know, let the adults run the situation and let the president go golf because he's he's much more useful to us on the golf course than he is on television spreading lies. Yeah, I'm just so I try to pay attention to him as much as that is a thing, because I'm just tired. Sure. I'm just like, you know, you're so tired of. Oh, he said something stupid again. Like, I don't need that anymore. Well, you can tell when he says something stupid because his mouth moves, right? Yeah, anytime. Paraphrase an old joke about old politicians and lying. They're just like, we're doing great. Everyone's great. No one's dying, blah, blah, blah. And I'm just like... There's definitely an alternate, you know, I, I, you know it's, not, it's not a new thing, but there is an alternate re- reality. His, his followers, his true believers, live in a completely different reality than you and I live in. Yeah. Know? Live in the reality that's given to them by Fox News, which is, you know... And that's another problem. It's like all of our all of our news sources are corporate. So, you know, just just you can talk about Fox because that's an easy target, right? Right. Uh, because it's always been the mouthpiece of of, of Murdoch, right? So you have a, you have a, a network that's supposedly a news network that's the mouthpiece of a conservative Australian uh, owner of of, of, a, of the organization. But you know, I don't think NBC should be let off the hook because um, they created. You know, they NBC created the the persona um, that people voted for in 2016. You know that that Donald Trump that that was the uh, billionaire, successful businessman of of The Apprentice uh, was a complete construct of the producers. You know, they went into Trump Industries before the show, and it was a shithole. And and they you know they said it hadn't it looked like it hadn't been decorated since the 80s. So they they completely you know brought the production designers in and redecorated it. Um, he has zero attention span, so they edited around his boredom with whatever they were doing, uh, and they created this persona that people out in America, I mean, as New Yorkers, he was, you know, he's a, he's a terrible mirror on New York because he was sort of the worst parts of, of rich New York, right? right. He's this asshole throwing up ugly gold buildings everywhere. Yeah. So as New Yorkers, he knew who and what he was and what sort of a con man and shyster he was and what sort of a racist slumlord his father was um but to the rest of america they just knew him from that show and from his books and from the the you know the movies and, and nbc helped that move along and during the, the run-up to 2016 no one took his his uh you know his candidacy
fantasy seriously, so they gave them coverage because it was it was good for the ratings. So they put the ratings above the good of the rest of us. Um, and now they make fun of them on SNL. So they've been making money off this asshole, you know, the whole time. I mean, um, I think the thing for me, I think with all of this is that I feel there's a comfort in the routine of going to work and then I was big on like exercise class and doing all those things but so there was a there was a comfort in that but also I think being by myself is something that it's like it's forcing me to sit in my own thoughts I think which is dangerous but also good for me to do and sure and necessary and and, and a part of the day-to-day workaday life is that they don't want you to do that they don't right. want you to be they don't want you I mean why has education been so dumbed down in this country? I mean, when, when you were my student, that was already at the point where I was getting students that had not been learned, you know, had not been taught to critical think. Um, oh, yeah. You know, d- during their primary education, and it was all teach to the test, and it was all no child left behind. And, and that's all by design. They don't want you to critically think because a critical thinker will look at the world around them and go like, well, this sucks. Let's do something about it. But if you can keep people scared and you can keep people wanting to fill that hole that they don't understand what that hole is with things and provide them those things for free or for cheap, you know, then you can control them. I mean, it, I mean it's, it's, it's sad. It's the oldest form of control is fear, right? If you can make people afraid, then you can control them. And certainly that happened after 9-11. I mean, right. I listening to the video and there's a woman who was probably in her 60s, African-American, and she was basically like, they can search me at the airport all they want as long as I'm safe. And I was just like, you you don't even remember what you fought for. You're like wholesale giving up your civil rights to say, you know, where you personally and probably a lot of people you know fought and died and suffered to, to get those rights. And you're willing to give them back for, for a sense of security, for that sense of, you know, uh, of safety, uh, which isn't real. I mean, it's just like it's been one week essentially at this point what we're recording this like it's just like how like i shouldn't feel that sense of like i guess that brainwashing sense of like i need to go back to this life that i was leading prior to a week ago we're creatures of habit right like yeah. we get in routines and some of those routines are very comforting um and the people that i, I work with you know are good people and i and i, I like being in their presence and i like working with them uh, i love my students you know i miss them um, and those are all good things. And, you yeah. know, and, but and I you've maintained like that. strong relationships with students. And I think like, you know, and I think yeah, they appreciate that. They're, I mean, they're, you know, that's my job. It's not my job. It's like, it's my avocation. It's just like, I know I started teaching. I got into this whole thing because I remember very clearly how hard it was to try to make art as a student who didn't have money, who had a lot of outside pressures. Um, and feeling that there were some people that were there to help and some people were just kind of like going through the motions. And, uh, and that stuck with me, just knowing like, to have an ally in that situation where you're trying to find your voice was very important. I go into a class at the beginning of the semester. There are a bunch of worried students who don't know what they're doing. And then by the end of the semester, hopefully they've learned some stuff. They're a little more comfortable. They're, they're practicing more. So they're, you know, it's like any other endeavor. It's like the more you do it, the better you get at it. Um, and, and hopefully in some ways they're better people than they were. Right now but also if that's, if film specifically is what you want to do, then you should have that motivation to do the work. And if you don't like that's on you and what you want and you're just setting yourself back. 
And we've had a lot of, you know, I've been on like a zillion Zoom meetings in the past two weeks about you know, what do we do about the classes? What do we do about the students? What do we do about the grading? What do we, you know, and yeah, um, how are you? T- what are the classes that you're? Are they just like theory based now? Or are you doing? No, I mean that's that's the you know the the the, the messed up thing about this semester for my my students in particular is so this semester I'm teaching at Hofstra I'm teaching uh, uh, two sections of intermediate film so mm-hmm. RGF I'm teaching one section of senior film. Uh, and I'm teaching the cinematography class that I've been teaching there for, for years and years and years and taught at ceremony for that. So class I've been teaching for 20 some years. Um, and, and you took that class. So you know that there's a certain point in the semester where we've gotten through all the theory. Yep. You know, we've gotten through the lecture part of it. And now it's the, you know, the class that we were supposed to go back to this week in cinematography one or would have been the class where we had our first in-class shoot. We've got over the cameras already. And this would have been like, okay, we're shooting a scene, traditional coverage, and we're rotating people. And everyone touches their face their hands to the dirty camera and the dirty follow focus and the, you know, breathe on each other and you're two yeah. inches away from AC space. Um, we can't do that, you know, so that has to be online somehow. Um, and the rest of the semester, you know, everything in that class leads up to this big final shoot, which is a, a bonding experience. And, and you know, it's a, it's a long night for everybody, mm-hmm. but I don't know anyone who's taken the class that didn't come away from that different, you know, with like a sense of camaraderie with their classmates, with a sense of accomplishment when they see the footage, you know, um, when they see the footage at, 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 at the post house afterwards, watching it, you go out for beer afterwards, people are old enough, and, and it's just a really good bonding experience that they're not going to get until, you know, I mean, they're not going to get that until I, I will go on a weekend and do that. I will do that final shoot on my own time so that they can experience that because that's what they signed up for. And then I'm teaching a, a, a cinematography class at Pace, and that's, you know, I was enjoying that. They were actually really fun, fun kids. And, uh, and we just kind of got in the same place there, you know, where we were mostly doing, you know, out of class stuff and, and class shoots. So, um, you know, I can give them stuff to do online, you know, I can give, but it's not the same. It's not what right. they signed up. Um, and it's weird. I mean, you've had me as a, as a professor, so it's like, you know, 50% of it is just dropping knowledge on, on students in a way that's interesting yeah. enough that they can, you know, there's some humor involved and they can, you know, I'm good. My, my stupid human trick is I can take big concepts and chop them up into small, easy to digest pieces and, and people get it, you know, so, so I think I'm good at that. Um, and part of it is just reading the room in that moment. There's stuff that happens in the classroom that's just reading the room and feeling what the students are worried about and, and putting their minds at ease and, and, and making them laugh and making them realize it's going to be okay and, and finding that little thing in their film that, you know, that they can change, that they're not seeing. Part of it is just like, you know, I, I'm afraid that when the dust settles in this thing, that there are going to be a lot of universities and colleges that say, hey, well, you guys were able to make a lot of this stuff online during the, the, the COVID uh, thing. Uh, maybe we do more of that. You know, maybe we do more distance learning. Maybe we, maybe the the idea that the brick and mortar classroom is, is some sort of dinosaur of the past. Mm. It can be replaced by remote learning. I think in some, I think in some classes you could, I think of 200 person lecture class in history or something. I think that can very well be moved into a, much easier to digest, you know, online format. But I think something like a fucking film production class is like it's ludicrous. And then you might as well be watching, you know, YouTube videos. You're just watching YouTube videos like people actually know what they're doing. Um, yeah, and how can you do like the group assignments and and you know be like an actual film crew kind of thing? Collaborative art form. And to collaborate, you need to be in the same room with other people. So you know. Yeah, I don't know. I just think do just like uh, people. Obviously, you know people too that are freelance or you know or in a union for camera or what have you. And they're just like. Everyone I know that's not in education is doing this basically. 
Yeah. And I'm just like, I don't, they're like, well, I don't know what to do with myself. Like, I'm like, I'm just trying to use this time, however long it is, just to, you know, do what I have, you know, just do more creative things on my own as much as I can. But not everybody has, you know, people have other responsibilities and whatnot. So I'm like, I'm just trying to make myself, I spent so much time trying to, you know, be the, be the best at work or the best, you know, best friend I could possibly be. And like always trying to like satisfy these needs of other people. And I'm trying to use this as like, you know, you, you time. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Don't feel guilty about that. Don't feel guilty about using this as you time because that's important because you'll, you'll come back from this and hopefully, you know, realize how much time you need to set apart, set aside for yourself. Uh, in your day to day life, it's so easy to get caught up in the, in the rush of going. I've been walking a lot. Um, mm, me too. I never have time to do that. You know, I mean, I walk around campus, obviously, but I don't have time to do that. So every day, I, I walk into town and I walk back out of town. And you know, when this hopefully when this settles, I'll be able to remember that that's something I should do. I should take that time to just walk and experience my community and look at nature and stuff like that. Because it's very easy to get caught up in bullshit, you know. Yeah, in your own head too. Yeah, I mean, I started, you know, I'm, I'm not shooting other people's films as much as I used to, and I'm doing my own work now. So, you know, there's like a ton of shit I could be doing or should be doing right now. And I've just been the last few weeks, it's been, you know, I'm moping, really. I mean, if I had to, if I had to sum it up, I've just been sort of moping and sad uh, and worried about how this is going to all turn out. You know, I'm worried about my family and worried about my students. And, you know, and now I just need to, you know, I, I, I got my, my office somewhat clean at home and I've got a film that I want to animate and I haven't started yet. And now there's no excuses. You know, yeah. I've got a, a feature screenplay that I wrote that, you know, needs rewrites and I have no excuses not to do that. So, so that I'll do that as, you know, because I won't have time to do that with, when this starts back up again. So I should take advantage of that. And I'm not, and, 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 but I think a lot of people are like, I should do this. I should do that. And they're not taking advantage of it and don't beat yourself up over it. And this is a huge unprecedented thing. We've had nothing like this in our lives uh, of this scale. So, so to, to do like why, you know, I had three weeks off of work and I got paid. Why didn't I write the great American novel? Probably because you're fucking worried about, you know, dying alone in a hospital or fucking COVID. But, you know, at a certain point, you just need to kind of reach a stasis where you're just like, okay, you need to. I mean, I think the, the thing that we've been trained our whole lives for um, that goes to pieces and, and makes us anxious at times like this is since preschool, our lives have been regimented by out, from outside, you know, whether it's, you know, having to be at school and going from class to class to class and having these, these landmark moments of, you know, midterms and finals and proms and, you know, and whatever and summer camp and all that stuff to, you know, I've got to be in at work at nine, I've got to meet, you know, I've got lunch at 12. So once that regiment is gone, um, we feel a bit afloat. I have friends in the military that like, you know, they, that, I mean, I, I was working on a, a project where I was interviewing these, these veterans and, and one of them, she was having a real problem. She was very undisciplined before she joined the Marine Corps. And that's kind of why she joined the Marine Corps. She was very much enamored of these, these Marines that came to the gym that she was working at. Um, and she very much admired their, you know, not, not just their, their prowess, their physical prowess, but just sort of the discipline they had. And she joined the Marine Corps and she was a sergeant and she had to fight to go into combat. She had to fight the government to actually go into combat because she didn't want her, 
her guys being there by themselves. So she went and she was in combat and she, you know, she had it somewhere in there. She had a kid. So she, she didn't re-up the last time because she knew that the odds were going to catch up with her. Um, and she was having a lot of time adjusting to the, the undisciplined life of civilians. So she'd be at the bank and people would be being stupid and she'd be so angry they're being stupid you know what creatures have happened they need that kind of regimen and when it's gone i think that's the thing that's the i think aside from the financial i think that's the thing that's the most frustrating people is to wake up in the morning and realize you know whether it's someone who's retired or someone who's unemployed uh is to wake up in the morning and realize that you don't have to be anywhere you know so i just stay in bed longer but you know most of us are kind of like well what the fuck do i do now thanks again to george for taking the time to talk to me I've always admired his passion for teaching and for filmmaking. I hope he gets to go back to the classroom as soon as possible so his students can experience that in person. I hope you've enjoyed this and the rest of the episodes in the Isolated AF Coronavirus series. All of these special episodes, as well as those from seasons one and two, are available wherever you get podcasts. They can also be streamed on our website, anxiousafshow.com. Follow us on Facebook and Instagram at anxiousafshow and you can send us an email with comments guest suggestions or stories of your own at anxiousafshow at gmail.com thanks to Angelique Ibera for editing and mixing this episode to Matt Laurie for production assistance and to Garrett Rose for the music his work can be found at garrettrose.com and I'm your stay at home podcast host Sarah Carlin stay safe and thanks for listening